and welcome to episode 45 of The Horse Heretics. I'm Neil. I'm William. And today we'll be talking about Fear to Tread by James Swallow, a Blood Angels book. Will, how have you been doing? I've been doing fine, yeah. Read this book, amongst other things that I've done. Great, keep the cards close to the chest, Will. Don't tell anybody anything like that. Appreciate that. How are you? Oh, fine. Stressed off my nut. Work. Shit. But it's all good. It's all good. So we missed last week's episode in order to move to a sort of new recording schedule thing where we will be doing two episodes back to back and releasing them on the same schedule. So I bring that up only to mention that I think this is probably a better format to do it in so we know the full plot to a book as we read it and as we review it and so there'll be less like well let's see what happens in the next two weeks it just seems like a better way of doing it and it allows us to sort of have a more sort of planable uh, schedule for our normal lives around podcast recording so just bringing that up just to let everyone know that they may notice something uh, slightly different in the episodes, but I think it's for the best. Would you agree? Yeah, well, I guess we'll see how it, how it turns out, but it, it probably yeah. will come across as a bit different, but yeah, should be fine. Uh, should be fine, and I think it's actually any changes that people do notice, I think should be for the best, but I would obviously say that. <laughs> anyway, Fear to Tread will talk to us about war on Melchior and the Nephilim. Okay, well, before we get into that, I just want to... I mean, we, we like to highlight the quotes at the start of the books, so... Oh, there's some fucking belters in this. <laughs> I, I, there's one I really want to read, and I hope you haven't got it, because I want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> Is it the one by uh, Willem Tecumseh Sherman? Oh, oh no, no it's not. Right, so this is uh, William Tecumseh Sherman with a different, for some reason, his name is spelled differently. And it's just war as hell is the quote. I, I mean, yeah. um, <laughs> at first I was going to, so obviously this is a quote of a real person, which which is then alongside it, you have a quote from none other than our friend Ignis Carcassi, the remembrancer from the, well, I'd say our friend, I don't remember we even liked him, but he was he was in a book that we've read and he's entirely made up. And it's, so I just thought it was funny. And like, I was a bit confused at first. It said Millennium 7. And then I realized, all right, that for Tecumseh Sherman, I realized they're saying it was in a a book called Writing of the Age Before Night, written in Millennium 7. I thought for a minute they were saying oh, like right. the Millennium of the 19th century had been the seventh millennium by <laughs> yeah. whatever their... <laughs> whatever they're counting the, the assyrian calendar or something that they're using yeah so melchior this is the where the opening of the book is set needless to say it's not the timeline of the actual plot of the book it's before that <laughs> and horus and our old mate shigenus who was dead at the start um, of this book series are giving like the last chance to this embassy from the species called the Nephilim or Nephilim I'm not sure yeah. before their inevitable destruction what did you think of this alien species well I'm going to sum them up in uh, three words giant glass worms is <laughs> is basically yep. my image of them um, that was uh, unless I got something wrong there. Is that what you had as well? No, uh, not really. In my head, it, it's sort of giant glass War of the World machines. Right. But smaller, scaled down, but kind of spindly-legged like that. But maybe I'm wrong there. But they can, like, 
they what was their thing they they could like control the minds of a population and they fed off of like their adoration because they made them worship them psychically or something yeah i thought this had very XCOM vibes or XCOM 2 i'm thinking of specifically yeah when one of those fuckers would take one of your squad and you'd be like fuck's sake he was going next (laughs) yeah because it talks about empty chapels piled high with stacks of desiccated corpses and bodies aged years and hours as all living essence was sucked from them so it's like yeah they're they're sort of like using the human populations like as a host in that way or like sucking resources out of them but they're also like the ones that are not doing that to i guess they're making like just sort of act of their rule yeah and they've all got like human beings all just sort of gathering around them and stuff and protecting them because they adore them and worship them what about and the masks made from the epidermal layers of nephilim flesh which is kind of like glass, if I'm right. So it says, and there were different colours of Nephilims. So it said here, greens have been observed cutting out patches of their own skin for this ritualistic process. And it was theorised that somehow the wearing of the alien flesh bonded the conscripts to their Xenos slave masters. Yeah, so there's this kind of like the Horus is saying, we're giving you this chance, otherwise we will destroy you. And they're like, well... Why would you destroy us? These people love us and uh, they've chosen us as their followers. Why don't you just leave? And then Horus, obviously, is not going to take take that. Drop pods start like landing on the opposite side of the battlefield and it's all blood angels uh, led by Sanguinius and they sort of have these the Nephilim trapped in a pincer movement and just fucking destroy them and it's a very seemingly a very easy fight because it's kind of overkill it's two legions and two primarchs on the same battlefield and they just sort of kill them all and then sanguinius and horus have this slightly kind of friendly chat about well done on killing everyone <laughs> and as, they're like, as they they're do like, you're killing with better though <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah no you killed more i think you killed a few more than me <laughs> yeah I, we, we we should point out i think we probably have that sanguinius has wings big white <laughs> angel wings we get that at the start yeah, keep that in mind um, they'll, they'll probably that'll be worth knowing as we go forward <laughs> i just said to be like beautiful like the whereas all the other sons of the emperor have like some individuality and stuff sanguinius is most like the emperor in beauty and stuff and he is kind of he has that kind of airy fairiness of an angel let's say the stereotypical angel anyway they're having this chat about being really good killers and and well done and then ralderan who is like a captain and we've met before on nikea sort of goes up to sanguinius and says we've got a a brother lost and sanguinius goes oh it's a battlefield i'm sure we've lost a lot (laughs) and ralderan goes no he's lost like kind of (laughs) pointing with his head you know you know know. lost (laughs) and sanguinius is just like we're amongst friends we can speak (laughs) we can speak here and ralderan just goes no you need to come now (laughs) and it's just like sanguinius goes it like clicks with him in this like this moment of stupidity he just it just clicks with him goes fuck horse gotta go <laughs> uh, and and they go and they find this in one of these temples to the nephilim that you mentioned there is a 
a soldier called you remember what he's called? I can't remember. I suppose it doesn't no. matter too much because this is like mostly yeah, I suppose his so. role. Uh, he's he's like drinking. He's in a pool of blood and he's just drinking it like a madman. And Sanguinius danders in and says, "Oh, my son, you can come back to us. Just stop stop being so weird and creepy." <laughs> and he he attacks him because he's like so in in the midst of like battle rage never ending battle rage and Sanguinius just puts him down and kills him and then Horus appears from the shadows and like demands answers why would you kill your own son why would you kill your own son and there's like a, a sort of friendly a friendly like disagreement and then finally Sanguinius says this is a genetic flaw in him that has been passed down to all his legion and that sometimes in the midst of battle and in the midst of like battle fury, some of uh, his sons like completely lose themselves and become vampires, essentially. Yeah, essentially. And it's, so it's a bit like what the Thousand Sons had, like as in the sort of innate, like. Oh, flesh change. Flesh change. <laughs> Just waiting for it. <laughs> Theirs was flesh change. And the Blood Angels have, like, vampirism, um, sort of. And it was, like, already at this point, and this will obviously go, like, as far as Primarchs go, it just, like, I feel like Sanguinius came across as, like, quite a nice guy as far as Primarchs go. Like, he actually yep. gives a shit about his, his sons. He felt he felt absolutely terrible when he shot this guy in the face. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I mean, it does kill him, but um, yeah, there were extenuating circumstances here in that he was, like attacking him and like just showed no signs of that's true of like stopping being a vampire sort of yeah he he offers him the chance to stop being a vampire he says like come back to me just leave vampirism behind and i won't have to shoot you in the face (laughs) and anyway he he forgoes that chance (laughs) and gets shot in the face not Um, neither not the last creature to be shot in the face not the last being to be shot in the face in this book by any stretch of the imagination yes lots of faces are left on floors (laughs) in this book so Horus hears all this and goes oh that's terrible I'll remember this and in all my travels through the galaxies if I find something that might be useful for this predicament I'll bring it back and we'll sort it out together and Sanguinius says don't tell dad (laughs) (laughs) anyway uh, i guess a a point to bring up is meros a young apothecary is told to deal with the body and ralderon swears him to absolute secrecy about what happened to him and all that kind of stuff that's only important because meros becomes a very important character throughout the book yeah and like i should say just to deal with it now because i don't think it becomes a big thing but like the this ralderon so he's kind of like the what's well, he's the first captain, isn't he? So he's in the sort of the like normal organizing structure of the of the of the legion. He's like the senior space marine, yeah. basically. But then he has a big rivalry with this guy called Azkillon, who's like the leader of the the, the sanguinary guard. Yeah, so like the the Primarch's like Praetorian guard sort of thing, like his his elite sort of bodyguard, and um, yeah, and they have a big rivalry, which is sort of set up as if it's going to be a major part of the plot, but kind of isn't yeah it felt that was one sort of interlegionary struggle that didn't 
pay off at all and and was unnecessary because there was plenty of others as well but yeah Ascalon is a total prick and it's like very full of himself he wears gold armor so clearly he thinks a lot of himself <laughs> and Ralderon Ralderon is like a, a more pragmatic much more typical space marine type person so yeah so that was just a bit of background on what the blood angels are and uh, a little bit about this thing called that gets known as their curse but then cut straight away to what they are doing in the crusade and that is helping the alpha legion destroy some orcs that this sort of splinter group of orcs that uh, were destroyed during ulanor they're just sort of mopping them up and the alpha legion are going into this like massive what is it is it like yeah meteors it's meteor field is that what you call them asteroid field and sort of chasing out a load of orcs and the blood angels are mopping them up and it's really really boring for them and a lot of them are just kind of like kicking their heels wanting to get back to proper crusading and proper murder yeah because the alpha legion are being a bit cryptic as is their sort of a gimmick yeah and but my, my main observation in this whole bit is like so obviously like the the orcs and the sort of language uh, of the of the narrative, I guess, which is sort of from the space marine perspective, it's like these barbaric creatures and all this sort of chat, these savage beasts and all this, right? And like, mm. they're actually like totally ingenious. Like some of the stuff they've come up with here, like they have these like, they've somehow managed to make automated turrets out of like a bunch of like scrap iron and <laughs> yeah. and just bits and pieces. They've managed to make sort of like what is a pretty advanced piece of technology you'd have to think of as like an automatic way to mm-hmm. detect and shoot people they'd be very good at like robot wars or something <laughs> like that they'd make a really intriguing good robot out of like scrap iron and rubbish and like bits of old scrap and stuff they'd be very good at that oh uh, side note to this by the way like, i started up a new game of fallout 4 uh, just recently and i was looking at the mods that are available and there's a mod where you can turn all the super mutants from that game into Warhammer 40k orcs. Um, oh wow! I was quite tempted to put on, but I'll try it at some point. But I didn't. I didn't put it on this time. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. So yeah. So this bit of the book is just all set up on one of the orc ships. This fella, this blood angel called Carno, goes over, and there's like this ritual thing going. On. Anyway, there's a, a psyker orc, and Carno almost uses magic to destroy the fucker um that's uh, really he see <laughs> just really forcefully said you're like you did not you did not like that witchery on display <laughs> <and you're... laughs> right, am i am i showing my colors that i am probably a bloody angel fan but he's saved by like loads of soldiers and uh, a chaplain or a marshal called anelis a warden and he reminds carno of the nikea ban on witchery and Carno goes you don't need to remind me dickhead and there's like a face-off so that that's another sort of interlegionary face-off that happens anyway they all that's very they really quickly destroy all the orcs and shit and then they go off they go to then there's no go no, no I was going to, well I was gonna say then they go to the big party that we've is never I never tire of hearing about um at the end of the Oenor campaign 
or am I missing a bit out there? Oh no, no, that's later on. Right. Yeah. That we hear a little bit uh, about the emperor's children here. More oh, setup yeah. is needed. Dude. Much more setup. And we go into the crazy lab of Fabius Bile, and a creepy old Erebus visits him and says, "I know you've got the body of a blood angel in stasis or something." And Erebus takes him for his own dark doings. And if you're reading the book, you'll have forgotten about that by the time it becomes important at the end. So we'll move on. I mean, good to see, though, that in the structure of these books, a character that just died like one book, book ago is already back in the shape of Eidolon. I mean, obviously, this is, he's not back, but, yeah. but he's already he's back in the book. Yes, so we'll move on, because you're right, it doesn't come up until the end. Yeah, so there's we get introduced to uh, a few characters, none of whom, they're sort of, squad leaders, none of whom are particularly important, apart from a guy called Amit, who's known as the Flesh Terror, yeah. which is pretty pretty good name to go by. And he is basically mad for the fight, yeah. which all of these people should be, but he is particularly, particularly nasty. Right. And like they, I think we're introduced to all of these uh, guys in a in a situation where they're having a bit of a bit of banter, a bit of like classic space marine patter is flying back and yeah. forth. <laughs> classic pattern and it was, it was one particular line it was just so howlingly bad and funny but sort of worked in the context and it says Furio snorted I agree that our Primarch did not grant me the totality of his noble aspect but he didn't reward <laughs> me with the depth of his battle acumen <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's certainly him alright that's very good what's the next important point to bring up here probably this is when two word bearers arrive and obviously it's not known that they are turncoats yet and they have an astropath with them and she basically like vomits up a whole load of gas right she vomits a load of gas which forms into the space the face of horus and horus goes i find find a, a way to sort all your problems out but you need to get to this system called the Cygnus Cluster because the Nephilim are back. Oh, yeah. We, th- we thought we killed them. We thought we destroyed them all. Yeah, and like, and Sanguinius has a moment of pause over the sort of gas vomit telegram that, that, <laughs> that he's not seen one of these before. Uh, yeah, he, he says it's not. He says it's impossible, and Horace goes, "It's not." Possible <laughs> what, yeah, what, what are we doing right now if it's impossible? <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I pretty much like... As one, us and Sanguinius goes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, good, good point. Anyway, t- uh, anyway, yes, good point. What what are we saying about the Nephilim? And they thought they were extinct, but they aren't. And so yeah, you have to go to the Cygnus cluster and kill them all. <laughs> I know it was like a really shady story. <laughs> it just didn't didn't hold water from the beginning. I thought like it was like sort of saying they'd been completely wiped out before as. Sanguinius knew well because he'd been involved in it and now like they'd somehow come back in enough form to take over this whole system of planets it just sounded shady yeah and, and then Sanguinius sort of went really so they're not they're not totally extinct and Horace goes no no and Sanguinius <laughs> is like uh, how many just like a few soldiers to mop up yeah and go no all of them <laughs> I, uh, really all of them every single blood angel <laughs> Gather them together in as few ships as possible. <laughs> Pack them tight, you know. <laughs> 
in as few <laughs> targets as possible. Get them in tight and take them off to this ultra dangerous part of space. The thing is, like, right, that was shady, but, but so this is one. Sorry, on you go. No, no, I was just going to say that that's shady enough. And then he's like, these word bearers, they're just going to like watch, just just yeah. watch you, and that, keep them with you. And that's not the only group that like. He pretty much just accepts with no explanation why they just need to be following them about because like a bunch of space marines, space wolves rather, show up around about this point. Yeah, and they're just like they're just like yeah, yeah. We just we've got an order to follow you about, and they're like, why is that? And they don't even ask them essentially. They're just like, well, on you go then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like who's who's sent you? Oh, Malkador. Oh fuck. And so like, what are you going to do? We'll report back to him. We'll we're, we're watching. Just, just know that we're watching you. We're like, Fucking hell! They, they, sometimes we've been getting on Primarch's backs and going. These guys are just fucking crazy, and they're just—they won't accept a single remembrancer, or you know, they—they they always expect the worst or consider the worst of people. Here, Sanguinius is just a complete fucking mark, <laughs> and he, he's just being taken to the cleaners by everyone who comes <laughs> along, and he's. Just like you can probably just go up to him and like just say, Sanguinius, I'm just going to be moving into your quarters. <laughs> just like, just till I sort myself out, till I get myself on my feet. And then you, you like, you move in six months later, you're still there, you know? He's like, that kind just, of just going to borrow your gold armor. I'll have it back in no time. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, um, so, I mean, around, uh, around about this time, I don't really think it's actually that important because it doesn't have a huge role in the story but talking of remembrancers there's this guy called Howard Ice Gerwin who's basically like a cartoonist yeah he's that, that was it he was a like a comic book guy yeah like and he's because he says I'm a sequentialist a bit of a scribe a bit of an artist and then um, he sort of has some chat with I think it's Meros that he talks to the the, apo- the apothecary guy and he's also got a data slate uh, which is described as an elaborate civilian model with folding lenses and retractable arms and a stylus and a bronze chain. <laughs> That's I'll get an iPad when that version comes out, you know what I mean? Yeah, so then we, we cut to some planet, not quite described, and Zauber is a captain of some kind in like a, a human regiment, and he's on this colony and it's raining ash and there's madness all about him everyone's like on the edge of madness or or over that edge there's incredible strangeness going on there's like rashes of suicide and birth defects and arsons and riots and strange cults and stuff and everyone's just like they they can't handle it they're they're not equipped for it and this guy called appears who claims to be an imperial representative but he's bearing like the mark of the eye of horus and he unloads a big bit of weird technology and he says he'll sort it all out and it starts raining blood. That's all we need to know about that. It's uh, That planet's not going to make it, I'm afraid. That's a, that's another bit I completely forgot. I mean, I remember Bruja and yeah. stuff from later on, but I completely forgot there was a bit where he actually showed him appearing on the planet. Um, yeah. So the Bloody Angels, as told by Horus, gather everyone together in a big fleet, every soldier that they can get hand on, and jump into the warp for the Cygnus Cluster. Carno starts having visions of, like, fucking mad shit going on. A giant angel covered in blood, a red screaming angel, all that kind of stuff. See, is that, a, is that the dude's name is spelled K-A-N-O? 
Yeah. Right, okay, yeah, because I was just pronouncing that Kano or... Uh, oh. But, and I was confused for a minute you were talking about someone else, but... Uh, no, yeah. it's him. He, he's the former Psyker. Yeah, yeah, got you. And Space Wolves, they, they sort of give the game away a little bit and talk about... Yeah, amongst themselves, they might have to kill Sanguinius if it comes down to it because they've been sent after they, the Space Wolves have destroyed the Thousand Suns. They know that some Primarchs have turned against the Emperor, so they're keeping that to themselves. And they talk that like an embassy of Space Wolves have been sent to all of uh, the Primarchs in order to sort of just watch them. And if they start showing any signs of uh, heresy, they'll kill him, essentially. Yeah. Um, so so the, the, the Blood Angels, after that, what they found, a very boring campaign of just having to like sit and watch and wait for the orcs at the sort of edge of a wider war um, are all like massively hyped about what's next. Um Mm-hmm. And uh, and then obviously what's next is that they're like you say they're all going off to the system where the Nephilim have apparently shown up, um, and I can't remember. Is it, does it pretty much just jump to that then? Yeah, they 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 arrive and they start seeing that they there's like a floating ship and they bring some of the dead bodies that are on that ship aboard. Meros, the, the the guy that we've talked about, he there's a funny bit where he scans them with whatever like medical device he has, and they've got no bones. <laughs> and it just seemed funny to me that this sort of medical man needs to perform scans of bodies in order to know <laughs> that they don't have any bones. Something not right with this. It just made me laugh. <laughs> and uh, he's all like, "There's other apothecaries," and it says that they consult, and they all agree. <laughs> What a second opinion on that lack of <laughs> Exactly. It's like, so, colleague, what did you find interesting, particularly around the skeleton? I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what I think, because I don't want to <laughs> yes, colour your exactly. opinion, you know. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yes, the particularly interesting thing about the skeleton was the lack of it. <laughs> yes, yes, that's what I thought. <laughs> um, this, this, whole, yes. this whole bit, like... Like this whole section was essentially like most of the first, not most of the first half of the books. We had all that setup stuff, but after that, um, these sections are very much like it reminded me of a lot. Of, I mean, in a sense, it's nothing like the film Aliens, but it had that same feel of like there's a whole section of the story where it's sort of there's a sinister things are being discovered. And you know, there's some there's some mm-hmm. sinister presence, and then. There's going to come a bit where where it kicks off into battle, and there was quite a lot of stuff like that in this bit where they were just sort yeah. of finding clues of something being up, something being um, definitely. And, and it by the end of it, it really felt like the first book in the series here that has turned into like full scale demonic warfare. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, and I, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in this that was just like proper big scale sci fi yeah. stuff, uh, like. Um, such as a thing that happens around about this point in the story where they get into the system and then like um, well a lot of let's just assume that for all of the story from 
this point onwards, a lot of weird warp stuff is going on at all times, right? Because I can't remember exactly when and when that comes and goes. and You know what I mean? Like, there's always yeah. folk going into dreams or, like, weird shit's being seen in space and all that sort of stuff. Planets changing themselves around. Well, yeah, th- and this is what I was going to say. So, like, a whole planet just, like, uh, starts, like, morphing into... And then eventually it reveals it's, like... It starts moving, like, against its... Or, like, against its which should be a normal orbit and stuff like that and spinning. Yeah. And then it sort of reveals like a massive, like in like sort of flame or like sort of volcanic sort of fissures, like stretching across what must be the size of continents. It has like a massive eight pointed star, like symbol of chaos thing, just sort of (laughs) shining at them. And they're like, that's fucking weird. And then, (laughs) then, right. Then like the other planets, it's like, like there's other planets or bits of space, like, that are like that are like sort of shrouded in some sort of weird way, like that they can't see. I'm like, that's obviously a bit strange, but there's, but it was really funny, like, because one guy was like, yeah, yeah, I'm not worried about the planet that fucking spun around and stuff. I'm more worried about these shrouded ones. And I was like, mate, like, <laughs> it's all the same thing, mate. You know, but on a scale of weirdness, you know what I mean? Like, if it's on a scale of that is. A crazy thing to happen. I would say, like, yeah. some planet that's been shrouded compared to one that like spun around weirdly and seemed to like display at you a weird symbol out of a massive fire raging across a large part of the surface. Yeah, you're right. That would be the one that stood out to me out of that situation. Yeah, it's like we, I think we're in a cloud. <laughs> it's sort of stopping us from seeing out the window clearly. But what about the huge? <laughs> the huge fires on the planet giving us the middle finger what about that one but that was the that was the real start of when it it, it felt like it became like doom or something yeah, yeah like and then it just because up to now the, the stories have been like treachery brother against brother like a, a full legion against one big alien monster yeah or some warp monster or something now it's just like a a doomed planet of flame and monstrous creatures and like it's just like all like i i was expecting more of this before yeah i suppose and it pays off in spades here yeah but you're right they they sort of go through past a load of planets that change and then they're they're like cut off from space and and that kind of thing this veil is drawn across everything whatever and the word bearers are like no this is all fine (laughs) you know let's just let's just continue i'm sure the nephilim have just set a few traps for us (laughs) but i just let's just keep let's just keep going and there is this this superb line as the as the the, these marks of blood angels continue they they buy the word of the word bearers you know this thing was animated by some impossible force outside his reckoning. His instinct told him it was powered by anger. <laughs> Jesus, that's quite some instinct. That's a totally normal thing to think. So they, they go past all this stuff powered by the, the emotion of anger. And they go down to this planet. And they're sort of almost immediately attacked by the planet itself. Like uh, there's like things with like traffic lights for heads. And oh stuff yeah, like oh yeah. They go. Yeah, I forgot about this, but this is just a small party of them. This is just a brief bit where they check yeah. out a planet and like these like 
like again to refer to a computer game that I've recently been playing this was a little bit reminiscent of like stuff like in the game control there's certain like uh, enemies that are like just a sort of force that like draws stuff to it and, yeah. and like fires at you this was sort of this. these were like things shaped out of like just debris and like yeah. stuff were just forming together and attacking them and they're like what the fuck is this and then um, and they sort of like some of them die but they get out of there um, and return to the ship and people are basically like taking the piss out of it a little bit <laughs> or was it the the planet itself or were there like all all creatures with traffic lights for eyes? <laughs> like yes there was <laughs> I, like um, this is a little bit of a weird thing like because like space marines like i don't know like they fought a lot of weird shit in their time you would think like the the, the glass worms, for instance, that we talked about earlier. And yet, there's certain things, there's certain lines that they're like, "All oh, right, okay, yeah, you did. Sure, sure, you, sure, you fought a um, swirling mass of like cones." But then, like, but they like, <laughs> but like, some of their members can actually do magic themselves, and they've just had a like conference to stop that from happening. You know, it's just like it's just a little bit strange sometimes what they deem sort of beyond the pale of believability. True, that's a good point. So yeah, like, but they get away from from that planet, and that's the, the planet just starts like almost attacking them, shooting huge lumps of rock and shit. Oh yeah, up and uh, it just it starts it destroys a cruiser, and so the ship's just like fuck it, let's just move on past. Sanguinia says, "Nah, we're gonna fucking destroy that planet." And everyone's like, that's really fucking mad overkill. It, and so Gwynis is like, I've got to take my anger out on a planet. Yeah, he, he's basically like, enough fucking about. You know, he's just sick of this weird shit happening. <laughs> I'm going to like, I am going to literally destroy that planet, which he does, which they do, don't they? Which he do, he, he does successfully, and fair play to him. <laughs> he says what he says, he does. So they move on, go out to like a more important planet. And that's when we're really introduced to Creed, one of the word bearers who is just tagging along. And he uses the astropath again to speak with Horus. And we get to see this like enormous monster that's almost like too big to like fully encapsulate. And it sort of has a conversation with Horus. And sort of Horus offers the blood angels as a prize to this demon to turn them to the ways of of corn this demon is like a huge monster of corn and the only the only thing is that horus says that the demon must kill sanguinius in order to make that happen yeah and that's pretty that's all right by this demon which we go on to know his name is cabanda but we know we we also hear i can't remember if it's here or not but erebus's grand plan is to also turn sanguinius so that he can be a, a a really powerful force as well, but Horus wants him dead because he fears that he might be the, the equal of him in many ways. Yeah, and the, this guy Creed, I can't remember when this happens, but like he's at first sort of going along with the Erebus plan, I guess, because he's in the word bearers. But then he's very quickly sort of convinced by Horus through another one of his like appearances in the in the through the. Uh, like the way he appeared to Sanguinius, like appears to him and pretty easily convinces him to actually sort of work for him rather than his own legion. Yeah. And yeah, so that's basically that's 
kind of plot going on with those those guys. Mm-hmm. So the, I think the next thing is that like this, they they go further into the system and they come across some survivors in this like wrecked ship, and for some reason. They weren't, well, no, we find out almost immediately why they weren't attacked by all the rest of the demons that have killed all their, their planet. And they were, it, it, we find out that they were on this planet that Brugia went to and completely destroyed by bringing down demons. And turns out they weren't attacked. They were saved because one of them is a pariah which we have met before, someone who psychers can't touch. And sort of and so nullifies the warp, essentially. Yes, yeah. that's it. Nullifies the warp. That's a, a good description of it. And so they get brought up onto the flagship. And so th- basically we know that there are demons all around and that the key creature is this thing called the Bloodthirster, which is a sort of rank of demon and that's Cabanda that we've we've met. And Creed is obviously saying, nah, this is all madness. These are all just like the ravings of, of of people broken by war. The Nephilim, they're the real they're the real enemies, wherever they are. We haven't found them yet, but they're there. And there are more visions and all that kind of shit happening and stuff. So there's yeah, um, I mean one of them that probably we should refer to is like the vision of like the, the red angel is a thing that yeah. Kano Kano or uh, sees and uh, so you kind of you, you think it's sanguineous maybe but it's like this sort of terrible demonic sort of red angel mm-hmm. uh, flying up but anyway that's we don't need to go into that but but yeah just to point out like where those survivors were found I can't remember the exact details of this but everyone else on that ship was also had had their bones or their bones were gone <laughs> But in a way, shit, I forgot. But in a way that was slightly different. I can't remember why it was slightly different. But they were like, like at first they're like, oh, what's this is not the same as back in the other place. And then, then the eventual conclusion was, no, no, they have just had their bones removed. But for some reason, it was <laughs> manifested in a different way. I can't remember why. But anyway, that's not important. It was remember. just a slightly funny detail. I thought. So and his top soldiers meet and talk. Oh, there, there's like this immaterial scream radiates from around i think cygnus prime i think the planet is batters the minds of all the humans on board and there's like mass suicides and killings and madness and stuff like that so Gwynius meets uh, with his top brass soldiers to to talk about it and then this flesh monster appears to him called kairos it's it is like a demon lord of slanesh yeah. And this sort of hermaphrodite creature, it's, it's really unpleasant to have, to have to use like these terms, but it is, it explicitly says it is like he, her creature. And it's, it's kind of old hat and unpleasant trope to pull upon that's common enough in sci-fi that anything that isn't a strictly he or she is thought of as something kind of monstrous, yeah, but yeah. it's 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 an it's an old trope, and it's an unpleasant one, but it's it's here nonetheless. And perhaps something that we can that's more straightforward about this creature, and not like yeah, like a shit thing like that, is that it has a bovine head. Yes, yes. Hard to take a lot of offense from shit that has big, sexy bovine heads. <laughs> and this this creature is so the bloodthirster as you mentioned. Like, uh, and this this it's never referred to in this book, but this is 
a type of this demon as you could buy it in as a miniature was called the, the keeper of secrets and so it was like each of the four chaos gods had like the the biggest demon you could buy in the shop was for corn it was a bloodthirster and for slanesh it was the keeper of secrets it was this like cow-headed sort of humanoid yeah. I, and i think we can get away with when we say bloodthirster we mean balrog yeah it's pretty much that it's pretty much that i think it like actually you know it did sort of grow out of that like in the history of games workshop probably because they had like mm. sort of fantasy creature was like that that was probably copied off the balrog and then you know yeah. became this thing anyhow yeah so what's the keeper of secrets is it it's like uh dedicated to sensory overload basically isn't it like just like all sensation all feeling yeah pain suffering yeah yeah so it's sort of like yeah i mean that's how it's and it's they're both sort of yeah they're kind of both the sort of high level demons of these different chaos gods um although i i, I like with the way it presents them there's, there's probably tons of these demons or it's just a common form for sort of yeah. weeding demons to take kairos says if you want me, you'll find me on Cygnus Prime, which is like the nearest, which is a planet that they can see through the 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 hull of or the deck of their ship, and so they go towards it. But then mutant ships start attacking them, and they're like described. They're really horrible. Like some have like enormous seals made from patched together human skin, and some crafts like spout arms and legs, and these spider crafts yeah. start chewing on the hulls of other ships there's and st- yeah like a lot of pretty imaginative sort of horror writing in this part of the book i thought like some of that stuff yeah sorry to interrupt you no 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 uh, absolutely and it's it's very good and like that's when like the mass battle starts happening up until then it's been like an away team on on a planet get attacked but now all the ships start getting involved. And that's when Creed on board, his ship is called the Black Page or the Dark Page or something. And he's watching in the on his like deck, for his observation deck, which is all glass. Like he, he can look down through the floor and see what's beneath him and stuff. So he's a proper cartoon villain. And he comes out with this line, which is, this is the line I wanted to read out. And he's one of, one of my favorite lines. Obviously, every other ship is firing and the, the Dark Page, his ship, isn't. And he says, it is time at last. The perfect moment of treachery has shown itself. <laughs> <laughs> so so that to, to him, that just means he turns tail and runs away and leaves all the rest of the Blood Angels <laughs> to die but that's a that's a terrific line sorry before we get too much further on there's a couple of like bits that i just wanted to uh, mention that happened around about this point right so just just going back a little bit the the body like some bodies are taken back from this ship right and they're talking about them and <laughs> i'm saying right uh something like of course he snapped but the course is the corpse is denatured on the way back to our vessel what do you mean by that asked Zuriel. Um, from the cohort of the Sanguinary Guard. Nakir glanced at the legionary standing beside him, a line apothecary from the Ninth Company. It melted. It- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, good. But then there was this, like, this was, I thought this was very funny in the context of our current times, this sort of prediction of the 
the lockdown, you know, work Zoom meeting when like all this weird shit starts happening and there's just this really tense like lithocast chamber where they're like, <laughs> they're all just getting like like worked up with each other and then like yeah so it says they're so they're sort of being like hologrammed into this room to all have a a, a chat and then it says. <laughs> Along with countless other minor malfunctions and small indignities, the hololithic network between the vessels of the Blood Angels fleet was suffering intermittent loss of data parity. And the synthetic avatars of many of the 300's company captains were blurry and crazed with static. The tech marines couldn't fix it or blot out the damnable... Fucking IT. I just had to imagine the meeting of everyone just like... Accidentally cutting over each other, getting really work, getting really like frayed tempers, yeah. and just yeah, it's just sort of see. Creed, Creed, can you mute yourself <laughs> whenever you're not talking? Because for fuck's sake, <laughs> yeah, it was just very sort of unexpectedly resonant. In, in, in. I, I, there was there was like really fun sort of descriptions of that kind of shit. Like it was often laggy technology, but this close together. It normally worked well. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, was, it was it was really fun, especially now that everyone is using that shit. Anyway, is that a that's probably a fair point to to cut us off for this episode? Yeah, don't you think? think so. so we normally talk about what we thought of the book so far, and I suppose we can keep going in so far as I was at the start. I I very much enjoyed the beginning of it, and then there was that sort of the the sections of the book with Brugia and stuff and I was a bit like this is a bit this doesn't seem important enough to properly mention and as it turns out that could have been cut away there there doesn't need to be that described for the future of the book you can I would be happy enough with just demon outbreak don't tell me how yeah there is a demon outbreak because it turns out it's just a black box of machinery there were, yeah I mean there were far too many. I mean, I, I, I like just to trying to think back to what I was thinking at this point in the book. I was, I was enjoying it overall, and I thought it was was good. It was like as far as these stories go, it was quite coherent, straightforward kind of narrative, you know. And like, but it's too too long. It it it, it yeah. didn't need to take as long as it did to get to the point to this point in the story I thought and, and like you say yeah there's bits specific bits you highlight in that you could have maybe been cut uh, but my general feeling was just like there's extraneous stuff here it's, it's just taking too long to get to this point and without that I think it would have been paced much better and I think we it would have felt like a real acceleration of story into what turns out to be a really fucking like big explosion of story and warfare and craziness at the end which i really really like yeah and like i feel like they could have just like they could have obviously you kind of need to know the thing about horus and sanguinius having had this situation where horus saw their sort of bloodlust that's sort of innate within them mm. you kind of need that to be there for the narrative you need some chat with the chaos side of it talking about these sort of different plans of what they want to do with the blood angels but other than that, I feel like you could have dispensed with a lot of the. Just like there's a whole bit with the orcs. Yeah. And yeah. And you probably didn't need such a elaborate bit with the Nephilim. You know, probably could have just had that in a like Sanguinius in his chambers having a memory of. Writing a book. Yeah, writing a book. They're all writing. They're all writing a book. Could have easily had that. That's a that's a common device in these in these stories. And like, 
I don't know. It just felt like yeah. Anyway, not a massive complaint because overall no, I was still no, enjoying and, it. But and also the the sort of the the showdowns between the magicians and the non magicians, you know that that sort of struggle. Maybe I would have said either make that more of a thing or make that less of a thing. Yeah, because it, it seemed neither one thing nor the other. I can't remember if it was it happened by this point in the book or if it happened it happened a bit later on. But there there was a, a scene like at the Council of Nikea, just a brief scene. They had these sort of oh, brief, yeah. brief punctuations that sort of... I mean, I guess it was it was interesting in a way because it it gave you a sort of quick summary of the Blood Angel's involvement at these various like big moments in the sort of narrative building up to that we've seen covered several times in different mm-hmm. ways. So in a way, it was okay. I don't mind it in that regard as a sort of quick way of catching up their role in the story but in terms of this specific story it was kind of unnecessary although i do always enjoy again like the triumph of owen or going back to like when, when they when they carved oh, yeah. out this volcano planet to have a, to have a meeting <laughs> true true yeah, they, they did there was a, a small section where they plowed the mountains into the valleys and sort of made a, a continent-sized block of marble for the emperor <laughs> to stand on, in order for him to do one last victory lap before sort of leaving the the fucking crusade to the younger folks. <laughs> that again was described really well and stuff. But yeah, I, I was left, I was left just wanting more at this stage, and and then it, it delivers on that. But we will, you will be hearing more about that in two weeks' time. So thanks everyone for listening. We really appreciate it. Please do share with your friends that this podcast exists and tell them that it's good and all that kind of shit. Do get in touch with us at uh, horseheretics at gmail.com. And until two weeks time, thanks, Will. Thanks, Neil.